Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You are listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a guest sharing their story and the insights they have gained that help them cope with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Charles Sullivan, who has worked in the music industry in various places around the world and now brings his insight and knowledge about music to support people in long-term care facilities in Toronto and through the Grief Stories Songs of Solace project. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast today, Charles. Thank you for visiting and being our guest. Okay, it's great to be with you and thank you for inviting me. So you're here today because you have a long experience in the music industry and you've taken that experience in the music industry and moved into volunteer sector in bringing music to people and helping them explore emotions and their experience through songs and other pieces of music. And so today we're going to really talk a little bit about how that's been for you and the kind of ways that music can help people when they're grieving. Can I ask you to begin telling me a little bit about your story of your experience in the music industry? Okay. So, yeah, I'd be happy to. So, first of all, I've got to go back a bit, right? As a teenager, I worked in in record stores. That was my first real sort of connection with music, listening to it at home and then the record stores. And then I got a job uh, at the Israel Broadcasting Authority in Jerusalem. They are a national broadcaster based on a similar structure to the BBC or the CBC uh, here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I first started working in the record library, and then I became a program, a music program producer on their national pop radio station. So I did that for 14 years. It was a, a, a wonderful experience for me doing music programs. I had eight hours of music programming a week, different times of the day for different audiences. And uh, I was basically free to program whatever I wanted to, but they had a, a similar thing to CanCon uh, in Israel, where you had to have four Israeli songs every hour. So the, the big thing that I learned there was to to get to know who your audience was, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that took a while because I was young and wild, and I thought I was going to educate Israelis about about all these weird and wonderful genres or types of music that you know I brought with me from my time in South Africa and a time that I'd spent in England. From there, I, I moved to the music industry. I was there for many years. Uh, and there, it wasn't so much about the music that I liked. It was about the music that you can sell to the public, right? So it was less about entertainment, but more about making money. And that was a real shock to me. So uh, out went the ideology and I had to sort of think about things in a business sense. So one of the things that I did in marketing was I created a lot of theme-based compilations and I did that in Israel and I did it in Canada too. When I moved here, I worked in the music industry here too. So uh, the success of those uh, compilations was basically if they sold well. So once again, know your audience and know who you're targeting 
targeting, targeting your music to. And from there, after I'd left the music industry, I did a few things. And then I started to volunteer in a number of uh, long-term care facilities or nursing homes, I think they call it in the States. And I still wanted to have some kind of connection to music. And that's basically what I've done. Mm-hmm. So really, so, yes. you, you, you've had music has really been woven throughout your, your life personally and professionally. And now you're, you've taken that experience with music, with learning about audiences and meeting the needs of audiences and brought that into your volunteer work. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that volunteer work and how you've developed even different skills with music in that role? Sure. So I've started out volunteering at three different long-term care facilities here in Toronto. I specifically chose three that were all very different and had a very different people from different cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds. And what I started doing was I was doing one-on-one music sessions with people. So how I did that was I got to meet the people through the music therapy department. Uh, I would have discussions with them to find out who they were, just a little bit about their their backgrounds and the music that they liked. And then I would build a program specifically tailored to to each and every one of their tastes, right? So very different from, from the different homes. One home that I worked in, people like country music and oldies from the 50s and 60s. There was another home where people very much like classical music, opera, musicals. I learned how to tailor the music to their tastes. Mm-hmm. I would upload music onto an iPod and I'd have special program for the different people that I worked with. I would sit with them either in their rooms or in a public space. I would have uh, headphones on them, gave them headphones, and I would have headphones myself. And we would listen to the music together. And uh, depending on how they responded to a particular song, uh, we'd play the song through. If I could see that it wasn't working, I'd just move on to the next song. And hopefully between the songs or at the end of the session, it would open up a discussion about their memories with the music. So I just want to give you a few little stories, if you don't mind, uh, of some of the people that I met. Mm -hmm, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So one lady, who I call the church lady, she was almost nonverbal, and she used to sit and stare at the walls all day long. She was totally lost in her own world. She was very religious, but I found out that she responded to hymns, gospel songs, uh, and spirituals. And she really did come alive when she used to listen to those songs. She would sing, she would smile, she would clap her hands. It was really incredible to watch. And uh, she used to tell me the same story every time about going to church on Sunday, dressing up in her favorite dress and being with her family and all that kind of stuff. When the session ended and I got up, I could see she just slipped back into her own world. It was unbelievable. And then when I saw her the following week, she wouldn't know who I was. So we'd start from the beginning again. And that went on for years. It was the same almost every week. Mm. So Mm. it was fascinating. I worked with an Italian lady uh, at the same home who spoke no English, but she loved Italian hits 
from the 50s and 60s. Now, there was a, a music program, a, a TV program in Italy. Well, sorry, it was a song festival in Italy called the San Remo Music Festival. So a lot of famous pop songs were first uh, heard on the San Remo Festival. So she was very knowledgeable about that. I would play her her favorite songs. She would listen to them quietly. And at the end of every song, she would sing the words back to me, which was just incredible. She knew mm -hmm. all the words. So that went on for years. Then I had another lady at another home who knew how to play piano. I would play her classical pieces or piano pieces, and she would sit and tap the tunes with her fingers on the table in front of her. So in her mind, she was hearing the music and she was playing the piano. It okay. was just wonderful to, to see. And then lastly, I had a gentleman. He, he was in a church choir. He met his wife in a church choir. She had passed away. And I used to play him hymns and Christmas carols and jazz and oldies from the 30s and 40s. And uh, he used to talk about his wife a lot. The songs brought back memories. He used to cry a lot. And we'd hold hands. And it was incredibly moving to be able to, to share those moments with him. So that's how it went. Uh, and then at a later stage, I started something called the Music Circle. It was a program. I, I basically was a facilitator this program. It took place twice a week for people who came to a day program in the center. And there were people who were still living in the community. So they were still very high functioning. What I did was I put together programs on YouTube. So I would pick a theme. If it was a festival or a, a famous songwriter or an artist or something like Disney songs or songs about Canada Day or spring or fall or whatever, something like that, I would make it as varied as possible and I would play them on a huge screen. Uh, and I used to have about 25 to 30 people on every program. What was wonderful about that was I used to get an immediate response. I knew I used to watch them while those clips were playing and I could see if the music was going well uh, or if it wasn't going well. And I'll just give you one story about when it didn't go well. So a lot of these people in this group, they knew a lot about classical music. And once I played a program, I did a special program on the opera Carmen. So there, there was a live, not a live stream, there was uh, the Royal Opera House in London had staged this pretty radical version of Carmen. And I played it for them. It took me hours to put together. And at the end of the program, this woman stood up and she said, that was disgusting, right? She was absolutely outraged because the staging was so, so radical. So to make peace with her, uh, the following week, I continued the theme of Carmen and I played songs that I hadn't played in the first week, but I did for all the traditional staging and uh, so I was forgiven. These are the things that I, I used to do, right? And uh, I used to use an iPad uh, later in my one-on-one -on -one sessions. So not only did they get to hear the music, they also got to see the music and see the artists that they loved, right? Mm -hmm. And that added another very powerful element to it.
Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you really, you've spent most of your whole life developing a sense of people's response to music and then translating that in your volunteer work to the ways that they can connect with the music and either connect with their memories or their emotions, yeah. the ways that they find comfort in the music. And so I can I can completely imagine that the radical Carmen didn't land well when they it wouldn't be comforting sure. at all <laughs> absolutely absolutely right? but you know sometimes i used to try to try things few new things and if it didn't work it didn't work and i i totally accepted it but i would say that 99 percent of the time i i absolutely did the things that they knew and loved i wasn't there to educate anybody right Right. So, uh, right. you know, and they told me in the beginning, this is my music groups now, they said no Elvis, they hated Elvis, and right. no rap. I can still remember that was one thing they said, no hip hop. So right. I, yeah. I never played hip hop, but I did play a few Elvis songs and, and they did survive. Yes, yes. Well, and you have the the opportunity to introduce a few new things, even while sticking with the more familiar and comfortable with them. And Absolutely. so you had... You, they. I think it sounds like that one of the most important pieces was that they came to trust you and would be willing to try different things as that relationship developed, right? I think I think you got it spot on there. Yes. Yeah, and that also helped develop your intuition or your instincts about what they might be open to, and um, and you know that's that's um, uh, such an important part of the process with sharing music is that sense of relationship there's relationship with the the um the piece itself and relationship with the artist perceived relationship with the artist and then relationship with the person you're sharing with and all of those elements mean that music can be really powerful and comforting and moving and you've seen that in many ways. Uh, I mean, music can also be marketed and sold and and making money. Um, and you've seen you've seen that aspect on the other side too. I have, I have. Bringing that all together has been. It's sometimes it's a fine line, but to find the right the right direction or path to to go in. But uh, I think it's being sensitive to what other people wants right and mm-hmm. and not imposing i never try to impose my own personal tastes on other people you know when i did the radio program it was different because i never saw my audience right i don't want to say my audience i never saw the listeners mm-hmm. so you could only judge if things were were popular by listener response get phone calls or letters from listeners right but doing the, the work that i did in the old age homes of long-term care facilities that was very different because you were sitting in front of somebody either on a one-to-one or in an audience and you could tell right away if you were on the right path or not and it was uh, there were times as I said people were reduced to tears and it was terribly moving for me to to see that and and it was a wonderful gift that I could bring to them right mm-hmm. uh, you know I always saw myself as the the delivery guy because uh, I, I, I chose carefully. I worked very hard on these things. I was there to entertaining them through other people's music. And uh, I know how strongly it resonated with them. Mm-hmm. And you had that ability to be present with them, to develop the relationship, mm-hmm. to pay attention to what 
was moving and powerful for them and then to let them have their experience and not insert your ego or your your preferences no. into it right and that's Absolutely so much of them it's so much of how we show up and help other people is is to to do just what you're doing right and what you've done correct mm-hmm. correct yes okay. yes and of course it's been terribly upsetting since the the covid pandemic that all these uh, in person these meetings have ended right i haven't seen any of these people for over a year but fortunately for one of the homes that i'm still working at uh, I do a digital program once a week that okay. is sent out as a digital package. So they just tell me what, what they're looking for, and I, I put the programs together. So in a sense, I'm still in touch with some of these people, but uh, I haven't seen them in person. So it's okay. been a challenge, and it's been very sad for me that I, I have developed a wonderful relationship with many of these people. Mm-hmm. And that's been our our need to adapt has been so much a part of our experience in the last 13 going on 14 months now. And so the things will shift again and you'll have the opportunity to be in and personally experiencing this with people again. And thank goodness you've had the opportunity to share digitally. um, So people can still be having an experience even while we miss that connectedness that is part of it. We also have kind of touched on your personal experiences with music, starting when you were a teen and listening to music and when it became very important to you. And and um, one of the things that I wonder about is if music has had a place in your own grieving experiences through mm-hmm. life. And, and if you want to talk a little bit with us about that, that experience for you on the personal side of how music is, is empowering mm-hmm. you. I think I have experience grief like most other people uh, at one time or another in my life. I tend to listen to music that's quite melancholy. I listen to music that touches my heart, whether it's folk music or rock music or classical music. I'll tell you one example, and that is when Elton John played Goodbye England's Rose at mm. the funeral of Princess Di, a moment that I'm sure that many people remember, right? And mm-hmm. that was most probably one of the most powerful moments that music has ever moved me. Or watching Prince Philip's funeral last week, and there were some beautiful choral pieces that I found incredibly moving. So what I do want to say is, just about music and when you listen to it and how you listen to it, I think is important. If you're preparing a meal or working out on your exercise bike in the basement and you've got a song in the background, it's not going to move you or resonate as much as when you actually sit down and and focus on on a piece of music, right? So I, I would say music creates a mood, and it, it opens the door to all sorts of emotions. And I think that it's a very powerful tool. And I, I believe that it can, in a sense, heal. It can, it's, it's, a, it's a salve or a balm uh, that, can, that can really, really help people. One thing I would like to say is keep an open mind when it comes to maybe pieces of music that you don't know. And I'm specifically referring to classical music. Now, I didn't grow up with classical music, 
but over the years I've come to love it. And it is obviously this opera that has, you know, uh, you know, it has uh, lyrics to it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but classical music, purely instrumental music, it could be music from movies or soundtracks, stuff like that. Some of it is unbelievably beautiful and moving. And uh, that's one of the things that I've been working on with the Grief Stories Project is mm -hmm. to bring some classical music to the people who visit the website. And once again, I'm not talking about ramming or trying to educate people or ramming certain types of music. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't like that word ramming, but exposing them to different kinds of music. I, I would say that classical music, some of it is incredibly beautiful and very moving. And uh, it's really worth giving it a giving it a chance. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's um, so important, that idea of being open minded to the possibility that something new might be the thing that brings you comfort or moves you yeah. or allows you that feeling of being in your emotions. And the way that I look at the work that we're doing with the Grief Stories website, with the Songs for Solace um, that we're adding through your work, and we thank you for that, but also through the other pieces that we have on the website is that it's invitational. The invitation is to sample some of the information, sample some of the music, sample some of the re writings and the podcasts and the blogs and all of that. And to take what resonates for the listener, the viewer, the visitor to the website, rather than feeling like this is being put upon you, but that it's more that it's being offered up as a sampling an invitation to try something, to learn something, to listen to something. And when we do that, when we allow ourselves to be open to the possibility of, of something new, that it might be helpful to us. And when we allow others the opportunity to sample it and decide if it is for them or not, then really we're, we're being part of what I consider our most helpful presence. So by offering up a selection of, of pieces of music from a wide range of genres, then you are being, you're being generous in sharing with people some of the things you've learned over all this, this long career and the volunteer work and, and your personal experiences. And then people have the opportunity to, to try it, to, to experience it in a guided way that's supported. Absolutely spot on. You got it. And so aside from the idea that you invite people to keep an open mind when they're being introduced to something new and invited to check it out, is there is there anything else that you suggest to people when they are looking for music to move them in, in whatever emotions they're experiencing? Is there, is there um, some sort of listening strategy or seeking strategy that, that you might that the average person might be able to apply? Okay. So there's so much music that is available today through the internet, right? So I'm assuming that most people have access to the internet. Well, obviously they will be because they, they're on the Grief Stories website. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. what, what is available on YouTube is infinite. There are literally millions of songs there. And I would say that is one, one place to look. Uh, you, can, you can create your own playlists, which is what I do. 
mm-hmm. especially when I'm doing my music groups. So I would say that is one place to go. And obviously there are streaming services like Apple Music and Spotify and some of the other websites uh, that offer these services. So you can create your own playlists. And I think some of them you can create playlists for free. You can use your iPhone or whatever mobile device you have, mm-hmm. you know, and you can, you, can, uh, you can download music or upload music onto these devices. Uh, I use my iPod, right, uh, because, it, because it holds so much music. I'm assuming that some people still have CDs and vinyl at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm sure there's still people who listen to cassettes. So and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so I would say that if the mood takes you, then turn on your record player or your iPod or whatever it is and simply listen to music and let the music take you away to to wherever you want to go, uh, whether that's a sad place or a happier place or an uplifting, you want to be uplifted by something, it's, it's there, right? And uh, go for the music that gets to your heart and resonates with you. And there are huge benefits and great joy in, in listening to music, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it sounds like what we want listeners to take away is the idea to be open and to, in fact, go searching for new music that might resonate and then to to make the time and just allow themselves to be with the music and trust themselves to know what music will resonate with them as they explore. For sure. And it's definitely healthier than eating candy bars and cake and ice cream or hitting a bottle of wine. Right. <laughs> Although that's, right. that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with it all in moderation, but yes. you know, music, music doesn't damage the, you know, the body, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It resonates. It sticks around. Right. They talk about earworms, right. That a certain piece of music gets into your head and it just stays with you, which is something that I'm currently experiencing with a TV series I'm watching. So the theme song. So, Yes, I would just say be open to music and just go along with it. Go with the flow. It, it's, it's like a river, right? And just go, just go along and wherever yes. it takes you, yeah. let it take you. And, don't, and don't, trust yourself don't to find... navigate it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the podcast today, Charles. It's been a lovely conversation. Oh, I thank you for inviting me. And I, I really love talking to you. And I hope this uh, somehow will help or resonate with anybody who's listening. And uh, yeah. I, all I can say is I wish you well and I wish you strength and I wish you luck in your journey. Yes. And, and that's what we do. We hope for everyone that they'll, that they'll hear something or, or, or see or read something on our site um, that gives them that feeling of strength and helps them find that feeling of fortune Um, as they go down their journey in their own way. Thank you so much. Right. Take care, Charles. Okay. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. 
While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.